We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Here with myself and my co-host, Nick Turchin, here to give you breakdowns of this New York Giants Week 2 football game in Dallas, Sunday night football, a lot of excitement around this game, even after a game where the Giants lost against the Jacksonville Jaguars, but again, as we went over in our Jaguars review, they played a pretty damn good game, and they were pretty damn close to hitting a few plays and from taking back a few plays that really would have changed the outcome. Um, we're going to start today, before we dive into some matchups that we're focusing on, uh, we're going to start today with a breakdown of what me and Nick saw from the All-22 tape. Actually, thankfully, NFL Game Pass did us a favor, and they dropped the All-22 Tuesday. They usually do this more towards Wednesday and middle of the week. So this was a nice little little bonus for the people who are as into it, you know, as into this stuff as we are. But after we do a little breakdown of what we saw last week, matchups to focus on this week, we're going to change it up a little bit and get to the question from the fans. I know... A lot of you didn't see this, but hopefully moving forward, you guys can interact with us and get involved. I'm going to send out multiple tweets during the week prior to a show asking for questions from you guys, the fans. That's what we want to do. Uh, we actually got a decent amount this week, so we're going to dive into that. And finally, wrap it up with a final score prediction. Me and Nick were both way off last week. It was not, not nearly as many touchdowns as we thought there would be. Uh, and then, and again, it was a rainy game. Let's, let's chalk it up to that. And then uh, we'll, we'll conclude. <laughs> as usual, with that, how we usually sign this off. But, um, Nick, how you doing today? You ready, you ready to get into this? Ready to get into it. A lot of good preparation. Uh, thinking about Sunday night. Thinking about I'm not going to be sleeping most of Sunday night into Monday. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not going to be a lot of that, that, that happening there at all. So, psyched to get after this. It'll be good. No shot, Nick. No shot. These night games are like you're done by, by midnight, and then you're wrapping up for an hour and a half, two hours at least. Right. Uh, an early wake-up Monday with a lot of coffee. But – 
I want to dive into a little bit of what I saw first on the All-22, and then we can dive into what you saw as well, Nick. Um, and then I want to get your thoughts on a few of the hot topic issues. We at least discussed a few of them again uh, in our Jaguars review earlier this week. But, you know, some of these seem to be creeping back up, and I want to get another opinion on them. But first I want to talk about what I saw from the offense, the offensive scheme, and then Saquon Barkley. Uh, yesterday on Twitter, I'm sure some of you guys saw this, I tried to chart – uh, all of the all of the plays designed for Saquon Barkley in the first game. I wanted to see, you know, was it just stats that said he was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage on, you know, nearly 50% of his touches, and the Giants' offensive line failed him a lot of times. And honestly, I came away thinking that, you know, that's kind of the case here. I was not disappointed with what I saw from Barkley. I thought he did a really good job of picking the right holes and, you know, moving forward with the football on all but re- on all plays, but really the goal line, uh, the red zone play where it was first and uh, – or it's actually second and four in the Giants. Right after – it was second and four from – second and goal from the four, I should say. Right after the Giants ran a four-yard play, the play before. Um, and I believe Barkley should have kind of planted his left foot in the dirt and driven through contact. And I know it's ha- sometimes hard to – on these podcasts to really get into what we're seeing on the All-22 because there's no visual. So, you know, some people would call it bad radio. But trying to make, do this as best as I can. And I think he should have driven his – planted his left foot and driven through contact. It was going to be safety – uh, Barry Church was going to meet him in the hole because the Giants actually had to play pretty well blocked up. And if he gets through Church there, it's a touchdown. Um, but really, aside from that play, I thought he had a really good game. And there were a few plays, as you guys might have seen if you checked uh, what I showed on Twitter, that could have gone a lot bigger. You know, there was the play uh, early in the second half where Shermer designed what I thought was a really, really nice play to get the ball out in space with Barkley. And it was a pitch play out of 11 personnel with Rhett Ellison coming back and motioning across from right to left to double team with Nate Solder on the edge. Barkley got to the edge. Solder sealed the final block as he's cutting back in. Uh, you know, Jaguars defensive tackle, I believe it was Darius on the play. Or it might not have been Darius, actually. I'm not exactly sure who it was on this play. It was the left defensive tackle, whoever was lined up there on that play. He came back and he made an absolutely incredible play to stop this. But if you look at some of the, you know, what I put out there on Twitter, if he doesn't make that play across the screen, Barkley's planting his left foot and he's going. And I know it looks like the Jaguars linebacker coming over the top, Telvin Smith, might have an angle on Barkley. But you know what? I've seen a lot of plays from Barkley's game tape at Penn State where even if it looks like the last defender or the safety or or the trailing linebacker has an angle, he doesn't get there. So that was one play I thought, you know, they were really, really close to hitting on. There was another play that actually came right after it. It's a pitch play out to the right where the motion at the line of scrimmage got the Jaguars defenders uh, pre-snap, got the Jaguars defenders frozen a bit, and then the linebacker kind of picked the hole uh, where he thought – or I'm sorry, this is another play. I'm sorry, sorry. Got a little too excited there. Um, So anyway, the motion kind of froze them, and Barkley's rolling left, and if not for Jaguars defensive tackle Marcel Darius, literally – destroying uh, Patrick Omamed line of scrimmage. He drops him right from the start and then is able to disengage and really run down Barkley. But if not for that, this is going to be a big play. I mean, there are blocker, there are two blockers out there in front of Barkley, and he has the ball in space. Now, the third big play, so that was the second one, and the third big play you guys probably remember with a vi- without a visual, and that was the face mask uh, that was called on, I believe it was Jaguars. It might have been Clayus Campbell on that one. I'm not exactly sure. No, it was either Yannick or Campbell, I think, and – this play was really, really good design, I thought, here by Pat Shermer because um, what he was able to do is get basically an even matchup in the box with the same amount of box defenders against the same amount of blockers for the Giants. And the linebacker chose the, the first chose the middle where, where Barkley kind of faked, 
and then planted and was starting to go outside. And he had so much room, but the Jaguars defender ripped him by the face mask, kind of dragged him back. So those were three plays I thought really, really, really could have been big ones. Um, you know, it's not for just, you know, a few different, it's a game of inches. It's not for just great plays by the Jaguars defense or just, you know, one missed block here or there. Uh, so I was really impressed with what I saw from Barkley when I went back and looked at it, Nick. Um, what did you think based on what your based on your review of the game of what you saw from Saquon Barkley? Did you leave anything on the field? No, I wouldn't say left anything on the field. I think that you know you, he he was as advertised. You know he, he the balance through contact, the contact balance, whatever you want to say it on the big duo run. I mean that's exactly what you're looking for, and and, and he's going to go for the home runs, and and that's that's great. I think that's what they want longer term, and I think paired with Gallman, it's a great it's a great combo. You got to get him back, I think, and that's what going to be what that's still day to day basically for him, correct? Well, Roman actually kind of had a little bit, I wouldn't call it a setback, but after practicing, not in full, but after, you know, doing some team drills on Wednesday, I actually read that today on Thursday, he, uh, you know, it wasn't as, he wasn't as gung-ho in practice. So we'll see what actually ends up happening there. And if the Giants decide to rest him one more week. Gotcha. Understood. So down, so a little bit of a downgrade there for him. Um, but yeah, no, as advertised. And, uh, you know, I think a couple of guys, I think the only thing I just was a little surprised him with that was that he wasn't used a little bit more in the passing game. Um, you know, he certainly was, and it was prevalent, especially when you really pour it through the tape, you see the examples a little bit more, or maybe the play calls not to his side. Uh, but one thing, you know, I highlighted on Twitter was, you know, one of the play designs was him on a, on a key part in the, in the third quarter um, after scoring a field goal. Um, you know, Pat Shermer uh, came back and had a quick three and out. And that's just where you want to see a new coordinator really kind of grab the reins and get another score. It was 13 of the game, 13 and nine at the time. So another score gets you at least 13, 12, right? And, you know, the only way Barkley was used is with a, you know, a zone run to the right into the, into the boundary and then an Alcatraz screen, a jailbreak screen for, for Barkley spread out wide. And for me, just that was a little funky uh, just coming out of halftime. And those are after a good drive, those that's your follow up to a good drive is that. And it was just a quick three and out kind of they really lost momentum for the rest of the quarter. Um, so stuff like that, actually, I looked within Barkley and the pieces. I thought the play calling was a little, not, you know, not, not the armchair coordinate, but just a little kind of lacking. Um, but nothing, I don't think anything from, from Barkley, you know, specifically at all. I think, like I said, as expected. Yeah, and I think that that'll improve with time. I mean, there's a play first and 10 in the second half where the Giants come out in 13 personnel with three tight ends. Um, and really it's a play action pass where Barkley leaks out into the left flat. And the first read, for Eli there is Evan Ingram over the middle, and that's completely guarded by the Jaguars defense. They pretty much guess it up. And then he check and then after that he goes to a second read, which is Barkley, but it's really too late at that point. Um, and the play is unsuccessful. But you know, when you look back on the tape there, right after the, the play action pass, Barkley is wide open in space. If if the first read there is Barkley and he gets the ball out there, Eli, real fast, that's gonna be a big, big play. And I saw that actually earlier in the game when they, they you know, if you guys noticed throughout the game, they did this play where they, they had this formation or I guess this, I don't know what to call it, a quirk where they would motion Odell Beckham behind the line of scrimmage, behind the quarterback and running back uh, before the snap. And they did this once with Sterling Shepard too on actually it was the first and goal play from the eight where they got four yards and they kind of got the safety moving in the wrong direction on his first step, which, you know, prevented him from kind of crashing down and taking and, def- and stopping Barkley in the backfield. But they did this with Beckham on one play. And it was kind of a – when I look back at it, it was a slow snap by Jalapio. It looked like Eli wanted to get the snap off just a tick faster. And if he does, he gets the ball out to Beckham quicker in space in a similar play – in a similar spot to where Barkley would have got it on the play I was just referring to. 
And then they have a chance to really make something happen when they have a little bit more space. Instead, you know, he threw the ball out. It was a second and five. Beckham made the catch. It was a four-yard gain that set up a third and one. Um, but those are just things to look for. And I think that, you know, when you look back at it, there are some opportunities to get Saquon Parkley the, the ball more in the passing game. And I think that's something we'll see going forward, like you said. Um, other than that, other than the Barkley stuff, I was really, really happy to see uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and how he was being used in this new offense. I'm going to go back to later tonight, hopefully, and try to chart this. But he was used just from the just from breaking it down uh, a couple times. He was used quite often in the slot, and there were a lot of opportunities where you know he might have not been the first read in this game, but he might be moving forward when they look back at the tape and see that there were spots where they could. There were even more spots where they could have gotten the ball, and that's a little bit crazy to say when you consider he had 15 targets in the game. Um, but you know, as Kim Jones actually pointed out today. You know, he led the NFL as far as receivers who were targeted at least 10 times in week one with yards created in separation. He, he was he was second, I think, behind Julio Jones in air yards. So Odell Beckham Jr., man, I, I can't say enough about him and how impressive he is. Yeah, for sure. And the, uh, the just a heads up to for our listeners, the motion that Dan was referring to before was actually orbit motion. And you saw that a fair amount from Shul and a lot of the guys coming out of the spread background or the spread hierarchies uh, from college uh, kind of puts everyone in the uh, in the second tier and on the on the fritz when that when that guy's moving that way. And in terms of even if it's man or zone, either or so no, no definitely cool spots. All types of pre-snap motion are definitely big Sherber things, uh, very big Sherber things. Yeah, and you got to like that. And, and you know, I, I was t- talking about this as well. I really, you know, some people asked me about what I thought about the play calling. When I really look back at it, I like the play calling. There were situations where he just, where Pat Schirmer just really couldn't get going based on the penalties. There were twice, two drives that were essentially derailed by them getting themselves in first and 20 or second and 21 when they tried a first and 20 screen to Wayne Gallman and, uh, John Jalapio doesn't hold the block on the tackle, and he gets out there, even though Hernandez is getting to the second level, taking out a defender. And when you rewatch that thing on All-22, you see a lot of space. And there were, you know, times the drive before where Eric Fla- or, two, or a little bit earlier where Eric Flowers takes two penalties, gets them into second and 20 or second and se- – or I believe it was first and 17, second and 20, whatever it was. And they're playing behind the sticks. And it's not – I'm not going to judge Pat Shermer's play calling on those drives really at all. I think – all offensive coordinators and all play callers are going to have a difficult time when they're that far behind the sticks. But you look at the second offensive drive of the game, and you really see where Pat Shermer starts to get it going. First, obviously, with the, with the run plays we've talked about, but also with the play where Beckham is lined up out of the slot, that 24-yard gain off the play-action pass from Eli, the one that people say Eli slightly underthrew, and he, and he certainly did. Um, but that release was just free off the line of scrimmage with Beckham. And then the, you know, Shepard's basically runs like a, a slant almost, not a, not over the middle, but kind of in the middle of, uh, in front of Beckham's defender. And that gives him that free release uh, deep, pretty much on, on that intermediate deep area of the field. And that's a great play. Um, there were others on that drive that really stood out to me. The third and two play was probably my favorite play call of the entire game by Pat Shermer. And that was when the, on that same drive, the Giants were faced with a third and two and it's a play action where they where they fake the handoff to the left. But that's not the only re- reason I like that play call. The reason I like that play call is they have a bu- they have a, a three by one with a bunch to the right with with Sterling Shepard. I believe it was eleven personnel with Evan Ingram and Odell Beckham's the lone X there. And the fake the play action goes to the left, fake handoff there. But also Shepard right after the snap starts to uh, uh, starts to move towards across the line of scrimmage in the direction of where the handoff would be, where the run play would be, as if he's going to block back, but then stops, 
pivots, goes the other way. Eli rolls out to the right, and he has Shepard underneath, but he doesn't need to hit Shepard because Odell Beckham Jr. is running absolutely free over the middle as literally every Jaguars defender crashes to the left to stop Saquon Barkley. And it was a long completion for the Giants. Got them in that first and goal situation that we talked about where kind of the play calling bogged down a bit, if you want to say, or just maybe, you know, I think personally, you know, people want to talk about Eli Manning had a bad game. To me, that one of the, the two of the worst plays by Eli Manning were plays that, you know, he didn't even make. Were <laughs> plays with one of them in the in the red zone situation on second goal from the floor after the four yard run to Barkley. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. is lined up one on one on the at, at split end on the left side. The Jaguar safety is in the box essentially. He needs to audible that call to a pass to Beckham. It just needs to do. It needs to either be a slant or a fade to him immediately. It has to be. He can. It's proven he can make those plays. Everybody talks about, you know, don't throw the fades in the red zone. It's the stupidest play call. But when you have Odell Beckham, you throw that out the window. And there's another play around midfield later in the game where Beckham had even more space, matched up one-on-one, split end on the outside, and the cornerback dropped about eight yards uh, just prior to the snap. That should be an immediate audible to a slant. So for me, um, I almost say that two of Eli's worst plays were plays he didn't even make, but this will help me transition Nick a little bit. We got we got to bury this one, but I do need to ask you, Nick, because you know now that I've seen this game a bunch of times, including once on the All-22, tell me if I'm unbiased, Nick, but to me, Eli Manning did not have a bad game. You can call it an average game if you want to. You could call it maybe slightly below average, but to me, that was not what I would consider a bad game. You tell me if I'm being biased on that or where you see that one, Nick. Uh, I wouldn't say, no, I'd say that that's a, that's about right. You know, you look at a, I, I what's kind of what I said before, I think of the previous one, I really, I really didn't change for me going from the, the, um, the in-depth look at the, uh, at the broadcast tape to the all 22. I see if, you know, the, the reasons for the, re- for why they sputtered on offense get divided up a third to Eli, a third to the play calling and a third to, um, the line. And that's when I say a third to Eli, that's not just because it's him. That's because of the quarterback, that's just the position that takes the brunt of criticism right. when you do it. So it's not, it really, it, 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 it is average to above average play for a quarterback. He's a much better quarterback than that. Um, and just that's week one stuff. And, um, yeah, I think that that's the, what you, you don't want to see that type of week one stuff all the time because other teams don't, don't flash that. So you, but this is a team again, that's first time everyone's working together. It's the first time working together for the offensive line. It's the first time they're going through checks, you know, and they're, and they're dealing with blitzes or when they're preparing for a blitz and then it, or they're not preparing for a blitz and then a team does blitz. What do they do? All that stuff is really, really hard to do the first time around. That's what you saw across the board. You know, yes. Are there specific issues with, I'm not trying to transition directly there, but going to flowers and going to different parts of the offensive line. Sure. But, you know, across the board on the offensive line, Solder got beat. Hernandez got beat. These guys all got beat. I mean, Campbell made them all look yeah. individually <laughs> pretty bad at times. So, you know, all that kind of stuff is just the way it goes. And you chalk it up and go uh, and go on to the next one. No doubt. And on that note, we're going to bury that one. If you guys want to bash me, go ahead. Get back on Twitter. I'll, I'll take all the heat I can on Eli Manning. <laughs> I, I've made it pretty clear. I didn't did not say he had an amazing game. I didn't even say he had a great game. But – We'll see what people like to say. I saw some cherry picking uh, from people I won't mention putting plays up where they think Eli should have thrown the ball. Um, I don't know if they're watching the the. the <laughs> I won't even get back into that. Let's let's move on. Matchups to focus on against the Dallas Cowboys. It's week two. I'm most excited, I think, Nick, to see the bounce back game from Evan Ingram against these Cowboys linebackers. When I rewatched this Giants game against the Jaguars on all twenty two. There were two massive plays Evan Ingram should have made, and they both came on deep over routes where Eli Manning hit him 
right in the hands with the football. First one, pass interference penalty. Uh, that was called on Evan Ingram. The second one was just a drop. I think actually the defense was called for defensive hold um, on the play. So the Giants still got an automatic first down out of it. And even if you want to throw the third one in the early in the game when Eric Flowers held and Eli Manning kind of threw the ball up for Ingram and he may, actually made the catch. But to me, I was watching this game and at least on the, on the, on the first over route, the one you actually broke down, uh, I believe, re- very early in this week, Nick, um, the one that hit Ingram right in the hands right before yeah. the pass interference penalty – on that play alone, I mean, you're looking at a situation where Eli not only hit him right in the hands with the pass, but Ingram is – he's basically uh, – the this, the linebacker there, Telvin Smith, is running almost step for step with him. But the safety doesn't get over on that play, which is really exciting because it's the same thing on the second deep over route. The, the, the thing that I was most excited about is that the safety struggles to get over on this play because he's playing almost like a deep center field role. So I think that's going to continue to happen based on Ingram's speed. And I don't think every linebacker from the Dallas Cowboys and whoever else the Giants face moving forward is going to be able to run step for step with Ingram on that over. So that's going to be a matchup I'm specifically looking forward to watching. Which one Which one would you be uh, most, most focusing on in this game, Nick? Uh, that's a good question. I think that the easy answer is, and what Giants fans are going to kind of, I mean, maybe not focus in on because they probably didn't watch the game as closely as we did, but the game last week for the Cowboys um, against Carolina, uh, Christian McCaffrey ran a really nice post wheel concept where he's the uh, the wheel. So he's running 10 yards upfield the way they run it, 10 yards upfield, and he bowls out to a fade. And I guess maybe some guys would crush me because that's not really specifically a wheel in all cases. But nevertheless, he's outside against Sean Lee running step for step, and he beats him. The ball's not where it needs to be, in the dro- and the ball is dropped. But it kind of dawned on me that Lee is a great linebacker. He completely changes the, comp- the complexity of the or the complexion of the uh, Dallas Cowboys defense when he's on the field. But he is susceptible to deep speed. And that's what Saquon Barkley has. And so I definitely think that, you know, I think it's almost too obvious that they're going to focus on that. They ran it a few times um, through for multiple different players, not just Barkley, but I think specifically Barkley coming out of the backfield or even from the slot, because that was running from from the slot. That's going to be a good one to focus in on. So I like that matchup for Engram specifically. The only thing I worry about with in terms of matchups on the linebackers are – you know, the overall, their speed is pretty high. They're not as fast as Jacksonville, but similar type of, of real athletic linebackers that can play in space. The other thing that's kind of nuts, just to give the Giants the Giants fans a preview, um, I broke down a few of these games for Dallas from last year. Uh, they've got a second-year safety, Frazier, who I have I followed the Cowboys pretty closely. I've never heard who he is. I now have like seven cut plays that are going to go on Twitter pretty soon for what he's doing from the strong safety position where he matches up on tight end from the free safety position. So the interior part of their defense is a lot – or their secondary is a lot better than it used to be. Um, so I, I actually – I wonder how he'll match up there because Frazier is a very good matchup for him, and Engram doesn't beat with blazing speed. So, you know, he's going to have – he's going to need double moves. He's going to need, you know, those type of crossing routes, of deep crossing routes where, where he's very good at. He can use his, his athleticism. But, uh, yeah, I think the big mar- the big matchup for me would be Barkley out of the backfield uh, against yeah. him. Yeah. And Kayvon Frazier, I believe, is who you're referring to. And he's yeah. playing because – uh, the Cowboys actually have an injury to the safety who they have really big expectations for Xavier Woods, who didn't practice on Wednesday. I'm not sure if he's going to give it a go uh, on Thursday today. We'll, we'll wait for that report from the Dallas Cowboys, but um, we'll find out there. But I'm worried about a few other matchups, at least uh, on the defense, on the offense side of all for the Giants. Most importantly, first and foremost, we really can't go a podcast. We shouldn't go a podcast without mentioning Demarcus Lawrence against Demarcus Lawrence. I'm sorry, against Eric Flowers. Now, 
Lawrence missed Wednesday's practice with what's being referred to as a groin injury. Um, but Jason Garrett basically said he played through it in week one and played almost every snap, so I think he's going to give it a go. And this is going to be a really bad matchup again for Eric Flowers at right tackle uh, for a lot of reasons. One, because Pat Shermer said, listen, I'm not going to – he said at least, I'm not going to give him help out there. The person who's playing offensive tackle has to be able to block him. But, you know, when we look back, at least when I look back at this All-22, I was pretty – confident that you know it's a little bit of coach speak from Shermer there were a lot of plays where the Giants used either max protection or even not if not max protection uh, running back to chip or a tight end in pass protection this is not the Ben McAdoo offense where that simply didn't happen in week one there were plays where the Giants used max protection and the entire protection got overwhelmed the play that comes to mind when John Jalapio and the entire right side got like bowled over um, it was like a, a, by the Jaguars pass run on third and 10, where they were pretty much at max, max protect. Um, but, you know, that's something that he's going to have to do a better job with this week, Eric Flowers. It's going to be tough against Lords. And then at the same time, I'm worried about Patrick Omeme because for me, I thought when I look back, he had almost as bad at poor of a game as Eric Flowers. I know we didn't have the splash plays, as I'll call them, and not in a good way, the splash plays. In this sense, I'm just using the word to say the plays that stood out to everyone on social media when it comes to Eric Flowers' struggles. But he struggled. He definitely struggled. And if you look back at week one, Dallas Cowboys against the Giants last season when the Cowboys front absolutely down, dominated the Giants, there was, they weren't doing anything exotic. They were simply running absolutely simple defensive stunt, <laughs> you know, stunts on the defensive line, rushing four and dropping in zone and mixing up zone and man coverages against the Giants who, were, who couldn't handle it. Bobby Hart at right tackle. John Jerry, who was playing right guard at the time, they couldn't handle it. And I'm not so sure there's such a major upgrade from John Jerry and Bobby Hart to Patrick Omeme and Eric Flowers. So I'm definitely a little bit worried, in addition to Demarcus Lawrence against Eric Flowers, uh, to what the Cowboys are doing at that three-technique position, uh, defensive tackle position, or one technique, wherever, or I'm sorry, it would be the three-technique. Um, and they've got guys lining up there. They've got Malik Collins, former third-round pick out of Nebraska. He's had some injuries, but he's a pretty effective player, and he looked pretty damn good in week one, albeit against it, uh, you know, a Jaguars off interior line that's clearly not the same uh, after all the injuries. But they also mix in Taco Charlton, their first-round pick from last year. He's been mixing in a little bit uh, on passing downs at the in, on the inside, on the interior. It's something we saw him do a little bit. Uh, in college, too. And he was giving the Carolina Panthers front some trouble as well last week. So that's my biggest worry there. Um, but I want to know, you know, how do you think the Giants and, – and we'll flip it a little bit to the other side of the ball where I think the Giants actually have a good matchup, Nick. I want you to dive into this a little bit. In week one, Cowboys interior line really struggled on the offensive side of the ball. You had Dooney coming in at center. The communication issues were off. And then at guard, Connor Williams, a guy who I really liked in this draft class, based mostly on his 2016, what I saw from him in 2016 before playing injured last year, he was completely overwhelmed in week one against the Carolina Panthers at the offensive guard position. Um, and I don't know if he has the play strength to play at this level. How can the Giants attack this? Should they get more A-gap blitzes in? Really, what do you see? Do they have to rely on their interior defensive line? How do you see the Giants attacking what I would say is the biggest weakest weakness on the Cowboys' offense right now, and that's the interior offensive line? I think they got there's a there's a couple options. Uh, the the new obviously what you make the, the key point that without Travis Frederick this offensive line is very different for the Cowboys and uh, that's that's the first thing that jumps off of like six games of film study. It's, it's kind of crazy actually how much it how much it jumps off. Um, you know I think 
I actually think Williams didn't have as bad a game as advertised. I think when you really break it down, he had a few really bad plays. He had a few plays where he looked like a rookie. He had a few plays where he looked a little bit better than a rookie. You, you hit the nail on the head with his play strength. There's actually a, a, a Quan Short on a sack actually lifted him from a jump set, which I had never – not never, but I haven't seen in a long time. He weighs in at 295, but he almost looks a little skinnier on tape. Um, I, I, I think, again, I think the play strength longer term, you know, he may end up being a center. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of good centers in the league um, that that had that happen to them. Where it's basically at this level, it has to it's like it has to shift. But um, I liked I liked a lot of his plays elsewhere. I think you know overall his play is just you know he's a rookie, and so there's that there's a few ways to attack that. Um, one thing that I liked going back to Betcher's in 2017, Betcher faced the same Dallas offensive coordinator. Obviously, it's <laughs> um, Lenahan's been there for a long time now, uh, and obviously the same coaching staff. Uh, and from when he was with the Arizona Cardinals, and um, the uh, the Cowboys won that game. Weird game, a lot of weird plays out of structure. Um, uh, actually, the Cardinals uh, held the Cowboys at a two of nine on third down. So I checked out all the third down plays really under kind of a microscope. One thing I really liked was a cross dog blitz that they used uh, that didn't even get home, um, but. Travis Frederick, and I think it was left guard, um, Jonathan Cooper at the time, made nice plays. Um, for, and so I think Betcher may dial up that type of play. What, happened, what ends up happening on a cross-dog blitz, kind of simple, but from a nickel or from base, the two um, your two stack backers basically cross each other as they attack the opposite side gaps from where they stood, from where they lined up. And this is it's not rocket science, but from an eye-level perspective, it's difficult for young guards. You saw that happen when... Hernandez in the preseason game against Cleveland. Nope, it was Jalapio, actually. Excuse me. It was Jalapio who misread this and the cross dog blitz. He took the basically the wrong guy. And uh, and that that th- these types of things for players who don't see it from a recognition perspective can hit them right away. So look for stuff like that where there's a little bit of misdirection in front of the interior of the line. Um, the other side of it. I don't know how much they really have to change what they're doing specifically to attack this line. Um, I think that uh, overall, Betcher's scheme gets downhill fast, takes five to six rushers, get them in the face, get them in passing rate, passing passing lanes. They will stunt a little bit, but the stunts are mostly, again, aggressive downhill, not long looping stunts. Um, and I like uh, I like them to get some penetration here. I do do think. Olivia Vernon, and we had a kind of a question here, I believe. Uh, Olivia Vernon is a big piece, a big part of this, not be almost not because of his play, but for what that does, allowing um, the strong side, allowing Barwin and those guys to stay on the strong side, and Vernon to be on the weak side. Uh, that that dynamic will will solidify the run game as well. Uh, so I think there's a lot of ways, kind of, for 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 the Giants to attack this line, and it's going after a quarterback who. Uh, you know, had some real struggles in terms of accuracy and confidence, especially pushing the ball down the field uh, until the fourth quarter. Uh, Dak Prescott uh, really had some big time accuracy issues, and I can get into that if you want. Uh, but what's interesting is I think that he, I think that they're they're a little nervous about throwing the ball more than ten yards down the field, and I think the Giants are teaming, waiting for them to do that. Yeah, and for those who don't know, actually, earlier today I believe it was, or it might have been last night. I think it was earlier today. Nick did a really, really good breakdown um, that I think is extremely applicable um, and digestible for this upcoming game. And that was of, like he mentioned, James Betcher's Arizona Cardinals defense uh, matched up against the Cowboys' offensive uh, plan of attack, offensive attack last season. So I do think they're going to use a lot of those same concepts. And a lot of it's not rocket science. Like you said, Nick, it's like you press man, you play press man on the outside, you dare Dak Prescott to beat, to beat you in the deep and intermediate levels of the field. And, 
He's got to prove that he can do it. I mean, the Giants shut him down completely in three of the last four games against Prescott. I, I mean, if you want to call the fourth game when they had – I'm not going to count the last game they played the Cowboys at the end of the 2017 season because Brandon Dixon was playing as their best cornerback – I mean, as their starting cornerback. <laughs> they had unbelievable injuries on that team and just crazy amount of street-free agents and practice squad players going. But in the other three matchups before it, this defense shut him down with a pretty simple plan um, – Dare him to beat you deep. And I think that's what we're going to see again. But on that note, we're actually going to uh, transfer this one over a little bit. Um, we're going to do some questions from the fans on Twitter. And we're going to start with uh, – so here's how we'll do it. We're gonna, I'm going to ask the question. I'll read it off. I'll mention who asked it. I'm going to have Nick answer first, and then I'll dive in. Um, I think that's the best way we can do these. Uh, so first, Giants Dreamer asks, how can Eli step up if the pocket always collapses? Should the Giants roll – should he roll out more? Should the Giants put him on the move more? What do you say, Nick? I think it's a few things. Number one, it's comfortability with Eli – with uh, Eli's frontside pressure. The more reps he sees – and this is going to sound bad, but the more times the right side of the line fails and he gets used to it, the more he's going to be understanding uh, the spatial – kind of restrictions that he has in the pocket. You saw a little bit, and a couple of guys focused on this in the right way, that he was kind of, you know, at times, at times, not all the time, at times, a little mesmerized by what he was seeing in front of him and not willing to trust his footwork and, and stick in that extra half a second or two, uh, half a second or one second, basically, max. Um, so I think it's I think it's going to be, I think it's, a, it's getting on from week one. Uh, I do think on the bootleg question, and actually I had it, Twitter conversation briefly with Kurt Warner on this, which was kind of funny, um, just because he's a hall he's a hall of fame quarterback, right? And I was just kind of shocked that he actually responded to me. Um, but anyway, uh, it was it, he he brings up the point that Eli doesn't exactly throw that well on the run, uh, so boot becomes I think a select. Um, a, an action that shouldn't be the baseline; it should kind of be the uh, you know the 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 curveball changeup. Um, so I I but I the other way to say it is I think that what they have to really start doing is varying their their pass protection schemes a little bit. And Dan alluded to this earlier, and, and everyone's all over it, right? The right side of the line's bad, so how can you help it? There's a few ways you can ship and release on on uh, which we know you can also use three man slides. And the only reason I don't want to go off on a tangent here, trying to answer the question, but the only reason why I bring that up is. A three-man slide is a lot easier when you know your bogey is is Lawrence, like you do this week. You know he's there. You know he's going to be on your right side every down. You can it's it's that you can do different things when that's kind of the fixed point of of real danger. So I think it's Eli getting used to that and 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 more weeks under on on with this offensive line, um, and and really just having the faith to do it. And can you break down uh, real quick in layman's terms, Nick, what an actual three-man slide is? Gotcha. Yeah. The uh, so uh, in protection schemes, you can have a three-man gap or or man slide where basically the offensive line from center, or you can do it three, four, or five man. There's a lot of five-man slides in college. Um, three parts of the line, usually the center and well, usually the center and the three-man slide uh, uh, case. The center, the right guard, and the right tackle, or the center, left guard, left tackle, and everyone takes a, a half a step, a half a gap, move over, or a full gap over, and blocks. Who's who's there? If it's uh, if it's zone and the man, if it's ga- if it's man, um, and so what that ends up doing is um, it gives the it gives the right tackle against a real good speed rusher. It gives him a, a little bit of help to the inside, so he knows that he can kind of 
focus on getting in his set at the right angle, at a correct angle with aid on the inside. When you do a chip release or you do a tight end kind of kind of helping on the outside, it still leaves him at an island at some point. Um, so the three-man slide can help there. It uh, does the backside, the best, one of the biggest parts about when you do a three-man slide, the backside who basically are on their own islands have to hold up. And that's Solder and Hernandez. And in my opinion, those are the two best guys you have. Uh, so that's why they're going to, I think they'll start moving more of this in. Who knows? We shall see. We're not the coaches, but it's something that against when you know that he's going to be there on the right, on that, on the right side of your offensive line, it just, it makes it a touch easier than if he's going to be moving all over the place where then it just becomes kind of like a, a headache every time you line up. Makes sense, Nick. Definitely makes sense. And listen, I'm not going to give Eli the entire game off. I'm not going to, you know, like I said before, didn't think he had the most amazing game. And that was one of my issues too. When I look back on the all 22, Nick, I thought that, he did get rid of the football a little too early at times and did seem to not trust that offensive line. And maybe that's just years of, you know, a general manager who spends seven total first rounds through one, one through four picks in 11 drafts on the offensive line. I mean, it's not a good strategy. doesn't make any sense, but I digress. And moving on, and <laughs> you know, pin this one. I knew you touched on this a little bit, Nick, earlier, so feel free to be brief if you want, and I'll, I'll share my thoughts. But Jay the Goat asks, why do you think we didn't see Saquon more in the passing game? Yeah, the why I don't know. I, I um, specifically, yeah. I, I, I again, I think that's that's we kind of touched on it. And um, the only thing I will say is just I think that they um, that looking at the 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 the, Jag, the the Jaguars linebackers that they're really fast. I think that's part of it is this overall speed and the fact that Telvin Smith is very very good uh, in that flat area in the flat you know in in the intermediate uh, to short part of the field. Yeah, and I think that that's, it goes along the lines of what Pat Shermer said after the game. He said, we got Barkley as involved as the, as the Jaguars defense allowed us to. And you look at the interception return for a touchdown, that was a play that was designed for Saquon Barkley. And Barkley would have been the hot read on that play if, you know, if the linebacker had actually blitzed. Instead, he fake blitzed. Um, and I actually had this conversation with Andre Williams, the former Giants running back on Twitter, um, who actually originally had the conversation with Jeff Schwartz. But – Basically, you know, people were trying to take the blame off Eric Flowers for that, but Andre Williams said it best. He's played a long, enough with Eli Manning to know that during the pregame, uh, prior to that game, he very likely told Flowers that, listen, the linebacker fake splits, let him do it. Let him come free. Just get, guard the edge, protect the edge, because if that linebacker goes, he's responsible for Saquon Barkley, and I have the hot read, and I could throw it to Barkley. And he didn't do that. Uh, Flowers uh, bit, bit on the fake blitz, and then obviously – got completely destroyed around the edge and then you know the only the only thing and i like williams chiming in there because that's that's that might be what eli said but the only thing though and shorts didn't come back to him the only thing is that assumes that eli said that what we do know is that flowers did have a dual read so he had to read the inside that's the only thing that was kind of funky about it it's like flowers confirmed after the game that it was a dual read which is kind of tough on that side so the only thing I would just say is like, yes, that's that's maybe what he said. But if it's not what he said, it's, he would still have a dual read. And, it, and it's one of those scenarios where the coaches have to figure out basically the best way to handle that. And that's, again, that's that's a week one into week two, three, four thing where it get, the more they see it, the more they'll, they'll be able to improve to it. Right. And that's a stray too far from the question, Jada Goat. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. A lot of it has to do with just the flow of the game. Giants right. like it found themselves on multiple drives behind the sticks due to penalties in first and 20, second 17 type, second 21 type situation. So I think 
the combination of that and a combination of, you know, the matchup, they didn't want to put, you know, they Talvin Smith's a hell of a linebacker, and so was Miles Jack. So I think, you know, it'll change. It might not change this week with Sean Lee in the mix um, and with Jalen Smith, but that time will tell on that. But I think that was the reason we didn't see him featured as much as we did on some of those, like, arrow routes at, on the, at the backfield, which actually was the route he was running on the pick six, um, and some of the stuff we saw in training camp. So Mark Giordano asks, do you have any info um, – on why Saquon Barkley was not on the field for the first two plays of their last possession before the fumbled punt that ended the game. He says it's incomprehensible that on the second and 10 play, it was a shotgun draw to, to Jonathan Stewart. Uh, do you have anything there? I mean, we don't, we don't know the coaches, but, um, but I, I, I at least would say, do you, do you agree with the Giants' decision there? Uh, the only thing is if you look in the game and I have, uh, you know, pro football reference has all the, uh, basically Excel formats for all the plays and basically who has it and it makes it a little easier, but at the four ten and the four Oh three mark, um, the first two plays of that final drive before they punt it, Barkley's on the field. Uh, the only thing that he could mean is probably Jonathan Stewart runs the duo play that he, that is referred to like three plays after. Um, so Barkley's on for the first four, then he's taken off. I actually did chart it, and he's taken off for Stewart at the 233 mark. That's probably where the question's going, um, or I'm assuming it is, because that's that that I had the same question. Uh, and I don't I don't really want to know. I don't know why he's in there, or you're wearing, or you're or you're um, running duo at that point. The previous play uh, was a looking right now is a combination post route down the field and what's his face is running what's his face and Barkley's running a, a check down route so I didn't see anything there like no injury or wind or that type of thing where he was tired I'm not sure I'm not sure and uh and something that yeah you know we, we don't know I'm not exactly sure there either but I would agree with Nick in general I don't think there should be too many plays where Jonathan Stewart is on the field this season so hopefully Wayne Gallman can get back fast um Har- uh, Harleton, uh, Harlan Hugo asked maybe I was a little caught up in the moment there were times Sunday when I felt like Shermer was a little too conservative. Uh, do you agree? And if so, do you attribute it to weather, first game apprehension, situational factors? I'll actually tackle this one first, Nick, and then you can jump in. Um, I actually, at, when I first got through the game before, before the rewatches, I almost thought he was a little the opposite, not conservative enough, didn't give Saquon Barkley enough plays. But then rewatching, there were two plays I mentioned where Odo Beckham had those one-on-one situations, either in 13 personnel or when he was – the one, uh, the lone guy in the three by one with three receivers bunched to the right. We're actually, you know, it should have been, I think, you know, and I don't know if this is on Eli. I don't know if this is on Shermer. I think it's on Eli just based on how many years he's played. I think that Shermer does give him the freedom to change at the line of scrimmage. And we did see that. We've seen that with him. So I think, you know, I blame that, I guess, more on Eli. But I don't think he was too conservative, honestly. I, I, if anything, I, you know, I think the game flow kind of dictated that, dictated how, you know, how he, how he went about his play calling. I don't know. How do you see that, Nick? Uh, yeah, I kind of reiterate back that, you know, it's, it's, in, it's, it's, it's apprehension. It's, it's situational factors. It's the weather. It's all that. It's the first time he's doing it with this team. Uh, and yeah, I was a little underwhelmed as I kind of said before. And, um, you know, I don't think that, you know, it's not something that you can really put on Eli, you know, do, are there alerts in, in Shermer's system that obviously allow Eli to, to highlight certain things and basically read at the line of scrimmage? Yeah, absolutely. But the bulk of Shermer's plays, and you can see it on the tape, and I did one of the, one of the pieces I had this week for cover one breaks this down, where um, half the field, or basically most of the plays that Shermer puts in are half field reads for Eli Manning. And that's kind of almost standard down the league where basically there's a man beater on one side and a zone beater on the other. And it's a quarterback's job to pick which side to play. 
And, um, and you can see in the preseason, that's what he was yelling to Davis Webb a lot for, is, was getting that recognition down, that mental processing down, and, and Loletta too, everybody. Um, it's kind of one of the key decisions he has to make. And, but within that structure, what I am saying, what I will say is like, when you look at a lot of these half field reads, a lot of what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of sticks routes. You're seeing a lot of stuff that's very kind of, yeah, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't pushing the intermediate part of the field. And I would definitely say that, that, that weather and confidence to this, uh, to this defense, to the secondary, um, what was definitely part of it. I think that uh, one thing we did mention in the previous podcast a few ago is that uh, in terms of previewing the game is what, what they didn't want to do was push the flats and have Eli put a lot of pressure on Eli to make long throws 10, 15 yards down the field to the wide part of the field, like the way um, the uh, the Steelers attacked and like the way that New, like New England attacked ultimately how they won the game down the stretch was doing that from from Brady and from from Big Ben. That was I don't think and I think that was the right way to pick, to take it. You know, not not basically go, you know, put Eli's arm to test against this secondary. So I think that was a big part of it, too. Interesting. I didn't even factor that in based on, you know, what we saw, how we saw the Steelers and, and uh, New England attack them. But that's something to think about moving forward. Um, Aiden Cass asked, you know, how much of an impact will Olivier Vernon's return have on the Giants? We're going to have to unfortunately skip this one, Aiden, because we sent it at the time where Shermer said he'd be practicing this week. But Vernon is not going to play this week. Um, you know, returned to a very limited practice this week. Um, so Rob Air one, my boy from Twitter, good, good, you know, good, good follow and a guy who, Puts in a lot of work himself and is really complimentary on Twitter. So big fan of his. Uh, says, I want to know the question, and we somehow managed to skip this until now. Uh, but <laughs> that seems to be on every Giants fan's mind. Why doesn't Gettleman and Pat Shermer boot Eric Flowers? And if so, who do they replace him with? You can tackle this one first, Nick. <laughs> you give me the fun one first? Nice, dude. I was looking for some level of measuring stick of how to, of how to show some light from the situation. Uh not being a big personnel guy with a massive personnel background, I'm the tape guy. Um, I'm absolutely not going to punt to this question, but I'm going to say I'm just kind of guessing. Um, and with this with this group in an environment where he's competing against other competition for at least a few weeks, and I'm not saying that where they thought negatively of him like this bad of him in April. I think that they wanted to. You know, I think that they saw the the marketplace as, as you have highlighted excellently. I think on this podcast, in terms of like, hey, where else were they going to go for talent? And let's let's be honest, in this league, this is a next man up league. And if there's better talent, they will bring it in. There is there is no reason why he's hanging around, or some people think he's hanging around. You know, it's 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 simply because at this given moment, for their given contract, for their given cap cap space and whatever they can spend and however they can spend it, you know, they they have deemed it fit that he is the starter. Um, I do think, you know, gun to my head, I think it's a few more weeks if he continually, and I don't think he necessarily continually showed this last game to continuously lose to the, in the same ways over and over again. And I don't think he showed that. I think he lost. And when he loses notoriously in his career, he loses awfully and it's, and it's, and it's tough. Um, but I don't think that it's, I don't think that it, that, 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 that it's exactly there yet. Yeah, I mean, you broke it down best, Nick. I mean, listen, when he loses, he loses really bad. And then everybody talks about it, everybody looks at it. But if you put Chad Wheeler in, I really honestly think yeah. more mistakes. Chad Wheeler looked terrible in the jumbo packages he was in. He looked terrible. He missed the block down by the, the – in the in that goal-to-go situation, second goal. He missed the block there. And that's one of the reasons why 
Barkley was unable to do anything with that second carry, where obviously I, I've made it clear they should, I think they should have audible to the one-on-one on the outside of Beckham. But regardless, that was Wheeler's fault. And I think Wheeler would make a lot more mistakes, maybe not as noticeable as Flowers, okay? Maybe not the ones that, you know, are notoriously tweet- tweeted about and shown. But Flowers, you know, is honestly, I do think he's the best right tackle option currently on this roster. And I think he's the best right tackle option Currently available in the NFL, as I've said, there's no free agent tackles, guys. If there if there was a good offensive tackle, an NFL team would keep him as a swing tackle because they know how important it is to find tackles. There is a tackle shortage in the NFL. You can't find him in the draft. They bust more than they don't, especially when you take him in the mid rounds. But you got to keep taking him. He's got to keep taking these chances. Hopefully, the Giants will start doing that. And listen, over time, this history is going to fix itself. Look at what Gettleman's done. He found Daryl Williams in the fourth round with the Carolina Panthers. He's one of the he was one of the best right tackles in the NFL last season. Unfortunately, now he's injured. He found Taylor Moden last draft, mid round pick. Moden starting at left tackle in place of Khalil, playing a lot better than Khalil ever played for that massive contract. It'll fix, guys, but it's not going to be a one-off season thing. They fixed one of the tackle spots with Solder for what it's worth. Obviously, he didn't have a great game. He's gonna. He's notoriously, though, let's keep this in mind, Solder is notoriously a player. It's better as the season goes along, so let's give him some time. But as far as Flowers goes, it is what it is. I honestly think he's the best option on this roster right now. And then, you know, Rob also asked, does Flowers have any redeeming value uh, moving forward? I don't think so. <laughs> it sounds so contradictory while saying at the same time he's their best option right now at right tackle, but – Moving forward, I don't want him at guard. I don't want him on the field next year. You know, like, this is it for Flowers. I don't think he has the tools to be an NFL offensive lineman. And yet, at the same time, sadly enough, I think he's a better option than Chad Wheeler is uh, right now. Um, I just, I guess I just ask a lot of the NFL offensive lineman, and I don't ever want either of those two starting uh, if I have the opportunity. But we'll move on, we'll move on. Um, Sony Chiba asks, my question is, how long does the coaching staff continue to let the right side of the online go without making adjustments? And, I, you know, we can just – I'm going to tackle this really quickly, Nick, unless you have something else to add. They're making adjustments, Sony. I mean, it doesn't always look like it, but they're making these in-game adjustments. They're going to make these adjustments game to game. There were definitely some plays where they – like I said, they used max protection. They used the running back chip. They used the, the tight end. They slid the protection. Um, do you have anything else to add there, Nick? No, no, I think that yeah, they can. The only other thing I would just say, and not to, not to, we talked about this in the last one, but I think if they varied the personnel sets a little bit more to to other things besides just twelve and eleven, that would help. Right. And so that's one last part, but that's it. And that's true, Nick. I mean, and I don't know what it was. Maybe based on the fact the Giants fell behind thirteen three. Right. Use twenty one personnel enough. I think we both agree with that. I don't even think they used twelve personnel as much as they should have. And I agree with you. They need to keep those guys on. They need to keep Red Allison on the field. That was another thing I noticed when I went back and looked at Barkley's, you know, all Barkley's touches. The Giants are a better team in 11 personnel with Allison on the field as far as the run blocking goes. Um, Pretty Mm -hmm. obvious. And honestly, it's it's so tough to say because, you know, there was another play I went over from earlier in the game where it was a third and one, simple play. They ran the ball to Barkley and – it was a two-yard gain and a first down. But Evan Ingram, it was 11 personnel, and actually Evan Ingram was lined up. They spread it out and ran it. Evan Ingram was lined up as the lone – or actually, this one wasn't 11. I'm sorry. But Evan Ingram was lined up as the lone tight end on the end of the formation at the left side. And I just was thinking, because the Jaguars stacked the box, they crashed down. You know, is Shermer keeping him there instead of Ellison? Because I couldn't think of any other reason why he'd be on the play instead of Ellison, because the formation, it wasn't spread. I'm thinking of another play. It, it, was, it was a run formation. You know, it was tight. And I think that – the reason he had him at the end of that line in that tight formation is that there will be times where Shermer, who has tended to be an aggressive play caller, and I like aggressive play callers in the past, 
We'll run the play action off that and hit Ingram for a big play there off the edge. So, you know, it's give or take. But in the end, I do think they need to use more personnel groupings, and that'll be one way to adjust. And that's using more 12 and 21, um, like we've talked about in the past. Um, Anthony Brigandi says, correct some minor mistakes, and I believe this offense can get going. What are your thoughts? I'll let you tackle this first, Nick. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, like Dan was saying, it's, it's close. Uh, and it's close against a really good unit that's, that that does not give you much margin for error. And you're going against the unit this week that is there's a bit more margin for error. I think a little bit better than people on the secondary side than people realize. But, yeah, no, I think there, there's more margin for error. And, it, and despite the difficult schedule, I do think that this offense, you look at the position groups, this offense will will roll at points. You know, are they going to have are, – are there, is their offensive line going to lose at times? Yes. But that's that's the same way across the board. I do think they can put up points, though, for sure. Yeah, I think it's going to happen this week, honestly. And I think this Dallas defense is a lot better than people realize. I really do believe that. But I think that this Giants offense was so close, so damn close against the Jaguars, so much closer than people realize, putting up a lot of points. And that was the Jaguars' defense, elite defense, with incredible depth in the D-line. Like, I honestly didn't even – I knew he was on the team, but I didn't even realize that Marcel – until I rewatched this game, like, that Marcel Darius is still playing at, like, an incredibly high level. On that defense. <laughs> yeah. You have, like, Darius. You have Yannick. You have um, Calais Campbell and you have Malik Jackson. And they had another guy, 95, who made like a couple great plays. I, I looked him up, Aubrey, Avery Jackson or something it was. Avery Jones, yeah, he's very good. Jones, and he was like, I was like, this is an unreal line with that linebacker corpse with A.J. Bouye and, and Ramsey. It's just like, you're not going to see that defense every week. Um, and I think they're going to get going this week, the Giants. And well, I'll save my, my, my prediction, my point total for the – Final score prediction, um, but we'll end the question, the Q&A session on this. Um, Evan D., another guy who's followed me for a while, good guy, says, was it a mistake for the Giants to draft Evan Ingram over Ryan Ramchick's, Jerry, uh, Ryan Ramchick, the offensive tackle on the, the Saints who started all of last season at right tackle, played excellent um, and has been good since. Um, I'm going to ask you first what your thoughts on this uh, are, Nick, and then I'll wrap that up. To be honest, uh, don't know who Ramzik is. <laughs> I have not was not uh, was not paying attention to their draft. Yeah, so he was a former <laughs> or a former transfer at Wisconsin, my alma mater. So I saw a crap, a crazy amount of Ryan Ramzik snaps uh, while watching, <laughs> watching and rewatching a ton of Wisconsin games over the last I don't know ten years of my life um, because it, my my fanhood dates even further back to when I went to the school because my dad went there. So we were watching games when I grew up. But you know he was a guy with great feet. I thought he was the best offensive tackle in the last draft like, over Garrett Bowles. And obviously that may sound biased, but so far it's proven to be true. He's been excellent for the Saints. And got it, got it. And it just goes back to you know the philosophy, the change in philosophy we saw in the first draft. Dave Gettleman. The end of the Jerry Reese era. Jerry Reese was a guy who's going to take the skill position player. He's going to take Evan Ingram. Um, so hindsight's twenty twenty, but I do think this Giants roster would be better right now with Ryan Ramchick at right tackle and maybe something like Red Ellison and some kind of free agent they could have added uh, to be more of you know uh, the pass first tight ends. They can play still playing twelve personnel and thirteen at times, but I, I do think that I think Ingram's going to be an excellent player. A lot of people are coming down hard on Ingram. He had a bunch of drops in that game, and drops have been an issue, but. He was really, really close to those big, big plays. The the one that was called back by penalty, like we mentioned, then those two deep over routes that Eli hit him in the hands on. All right, Nick, on that note, we're going to wrap things up with a final score prediction. I'm going to throw it to you first, Nick, put you on the spot. Give me a final score. Uh, 21. It's going to be a battle. 21 to 17, uh, Giants. Okay. We're close. 
Actually, the Giants scoring a little bit more. I have them scoring 30 points. I think they're going to hit three field goals in addition to three touchdowns. Um, and I think the Cowboys are going to score 17. So 30 to 17 is my final score. On that note, we're going to wrap this up for the Giants-Cowboys preview. Nick, is there anything else you wanted to add? And tell everyone where they can find you and find all your work. Uh, no, I think I'm good. Uh, my work, cover1.net, uh, is where I do all the Giants X's and O's uh, work. Um, uh, handle on Twitter, tmanic21. Firing up the YouTube channel a little bit more. Uh, but just to beware for those that don't want to see Eagles highlights or NFC East highlights, it is going to be a mixed bag of highlights there. And I go wherever good football is. So I go, I seek to find it there. So it'll, it'll be a mixed bag there. But other than that, uh, mostly Giants on Twitter and at Cover One. I got some good news for you on that note, Nick, because I think the people, our target audience that's listening to our podcast actually will be interested in seeing some NFC East rival game tape. And me and Nick actually may have something in the works coming forward, which I won't divulge on just yet because we do have to put some more final touches on it uh, with regards to that YouTube page and just just different breakdowns of the games moving forward. But you can, as always, find my work um, on 247sports.com, myg.247sports.com. Actually, in this era, I think the best way you can find my work is actually downloading the CBS Sports app where – if you download the CBS Sports app and go to the Giants tab there, you can set up alerts for the Giants and then just check that Giants tab on the app there, where all my work is going to be there. I think it's better than following me on the 24-7 Sports Giants Facebook because yeah, we have to uh, – uh, I, I won't get into that, actually. But um, that's probably the best place. Or obviously on Twitter, Dan Schneier NFL. That's D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL. Um, and on that note – we're going to send it off, and as I always like to close this thing out, even though it makes me sound like a fan, I'm going to say, go Giants. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.